Hey folks, my name is Rhonda and I'm your host and in this episode, the first of 2022, I'm going to be talking about shamanism and ADHD. So I've had a break. Um, we have over 100 episodes of Shaman Talk um, over a couple of years and this year we really just wanted to focus on some different ways of communicating and some different um, projects. It's quite a lot of work to create a podcast that was every week for most of the two years and then we dropped down to every two weeks after Mirren was born. Mirren is my baby. So this year we're doing ad hoc podcasts as and when spirit requires or calls for a podcast to be created. And after a conversation in the Facebook community this week, this is what came through to um, want to be created into a podcast. So here we are. It's May 2022 and we are talking about shamanism and ADHD. In this episode I'm going to talk about the common, if you google it, like what are the common lists of symptoms that you get and why those aren't quite as useful I've found as a lived reality. So I'm also going to go through quite a big long list of different um, difficulties that people who live with ADHD face. I'm also going to talk about my journey peppered in there as well with ADHD and I'm going to talk about the shifts that happened for me when I worked with my ADHD and shamanism together. So let's dive in. So when you go onto the NHS website, NHS National Health Service in Britain, it will tell you the symptoms of Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And there are two types. There, There's the inattentive type and there's the hyperactivity and impulsiveness type. Many people have both or more of one and less of the other. It's not always the case, but myself, I have inattentive ADD with some hyperactivity and impulsiveness thrown in for good measure. When you are more on the attentive scale, inattentive scale, especially women, women tend to be of the more of the inattentive scale, it's much more difficult to diagnose and it often goes unnoticed because the symptoms are less obvious and we'll go into some of that later. So it's much more likely that ADHD is diagnosed in boys, young boys, because they're more likely to be disruptive to the system that they're in, school usually. Whereas girls tend to go off, <coughs> excuse me, in a daydream or their um, hyper-focus is more in the saviour camp. So they tend to be very helpful, overly helpful of others. Um, so obviously that's a good thing. That's seen as a good thing in our society. So it's, it's not seen as a difficult or problematic behaviour. So in inattentiveness in children... You'll, if you Google this, it'll tell you um, that the main signs are short attention, short attention span and being easily distracted. Actually, I think what that should say is a short attention span and being easily distracted from things that do not interest you. Because when children with ADHD are interested in something, then they're actually very att- they're, they, their attentiveness is very high. Um, careless mistakes, appearing forgetful, losing things, being able to stick to tedious tasks, appearing 
unable to listen, constantly changing activity or having difficulty organising themselves. And the hyperactivity element will um, present as being able to being unable to sit still, fidgeting, unable to concentrate, excessive physical movement, excessive talking, being unable to wait their turn, acting without thinking, interrupting conversations, and little or no sense of danger. And I would throw into that list, actually, disruptive, aggressive behaviour as well. That's not on the list. So symptoms in adults, then, very are very similar, but they're... Obviously, adults become much more aware of themselves, so there's a lot of masking that goes on with adults with ADHD, especially women. Um, <clears throat> so some of the specialists have put together a list in, in, for ADHD in adults. Carelessness and lack of attention to detail, continually starting new tasks before finishing old ones, poor organisational skills, inability to focus, continually losing or misplacing things, forgetfulness, restlessness and edginess, Difficulty keeping quiet and speaking out of turn, blurting out, mood swings, inability to deal with stress, extreme impatience and taking risks. Um, interesting there, whenever I see these lists, the taking risks and activities jumps out at me. And I was very much not a risk taker, but then I also struggled with anxiety as well as ADHD. So the, the anxious part of me really did stop me from being a particularly... Um, big risk taker so what happened for me was that I was reading and listening to Gabor Mate at the time I discovered him and what and as you do when you have ADHD although I didn't realize it at the time I was consuming his writings with gusto so I bought every book and was reading those um, and I hadn't reached Scattered Minds yet which is the book about ADHD um, but I was watching YouTube shorts, YouTube videos of Gabor Mate, and I stumbled upon one about ADD. And usually I just skip past them. They don't mean anything to me. They, they don't have anything to do with my life. My husband has ADHD, but it's managed in, um, in a perfectly acceptable way. We talk about he was diagnosed in his childhood, and we talk about that sometimes, but it really didn't have any real meaning to me so I just usually skip past them however this day I decided to listen so I I did I sat and listened to him talk about his journey with ADHD and, and how it affected him and I, I just like got it got stranger and stranger and, I, and suddenly it hit me I was like this man is talking about my life this man is talking about my life how how is that even possible like you know what and something just hit me like a ton of bricks I was like oh my god that's me so of course then in true ADHD hyperfixation fashion I then began to look for more information and realized that without any shadow of a doubt I had ADHD and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Won't bore you with all the details. But what I found really helpful was when I listened to everyday folk talk about real-life examples of how they struggle with ADHD. Now, you could, so I've read the lists above, and, you know, you could say, oh, yeah, 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 well, you know, I'm a bit 
I get I lose things sometimes, but doesn't everybody? Or you know, I, I didn't find it very easy to connect with those rather impersonal lists. But as I say, I, I find it much more easy to connect with the list of <clears throat> lived experiences. So I've pulled together quite a long list of things that are <clears throat> a result of ADHD that I find very surprising and also very helpful for honing in on and accepting that a diagnosis or at least a, um, a being checked out was necessary for me. So here's my top list. And there's many, so here we go. And I, I, these, are, I, these are in no particular order and I realise the top one is a bit random, but um, there you go. So in no particular order. I can sleep after drinking caffeine. Now, I always thought that it was just a cool quirk. You know, everybody was like, I can't believe you just had a cup of tea before bed, like caffeine tea before bed, or I could just drink a filter coffee before bed or before I had a nap. And I have no problem sleeping. I've never had an issue sleeping. But what I found out was that is actually an interaction and a wonky of wonky neurotransmitters. Yeah, so ADHD at its core is a dopamine deficiency disorder, actually. So the way that it works is that caffeine kicks off your dopamine in your um, in production in your brain and dopamine is lovely and we love dopamine and it helps us sleep, right? So drink, being able to sleep after drinking caffeine is um, is a good one, I thought. I just laughed when I found out. I was like, oh, I thought it was just cool. It was just a cool thing I could do, but no, no, it's because of that. Okay. And what also I've noticed is that the more healing I've done in the past eight eight years, the less this works. So I do have to now be careful about the amount of caffeine that I consume. So as I go down this list, I would also like to say that um, over the last eight years, my manage the management of my symptoms has become exponentially easier, and my life no longer is a complete um, is complete chaos because of my ADHD. So. Bear, bear with me through this list and then at the end we're going to talk about how I did that. So you often feel like you have many conversations going on in your head at once. So for me, I thought that was normal. I thought that you always had lots of conversations at once. Sometimes four or five or six, you know, different thoughts are going on, different conversations with yourself and with versions of yourself and thinking about or overthinking things and going through you know, different scenarios of things and try to talk to somebody and think about what you're having for dinner all at the same time. And it wasn't until I started to become more aware of myself and I was able to describe how I interacted with myself to my husband and he was like, hmm. And other people, and other people were like, that's not, that, well, I don't think like that. So I'm like, oh, okay, so it's not normal to think like that. So that was a real surprise for me. Um, and once I noticed it, I realised how tiring it was all the time. So it was nice to have a pointer, a reason for that. It was nice to know that it wasn't necessarily normal and that it wasn't something that I had to live with forever. I could begin to make changes and to relieve that mind chatter. Object permanence. Now, this was such a big one for me. Object permanence means that when something is not immediately in your sight, it's 
you just forget about it. You just forget that it exists. So, for example, that's why people with ADHD leave things out. I call them my shame piles. If I put anything in a drawer or put anything away, I can't see it, therefore it doesn't exist. Um, Again, this has eased with time, but still, I still live with that. I still have to have everything I need out so that I can look and see where everything is and what I need. But it also um, relates to people as well. So you will, maybe if you have ADHD, you'll really struggle to want to or remember to contact your loved ones and your friends. Or if people aren't in your life all the time, then you just forget about them. When they're not in your, your immediate world, they cease to exist in a week or two weeks or a month or two months will go by and you'll think, oh, Christ, I haven't been in touch with this person or, you know, but it's not out of any kind of callousness. It's simply because you just don't remember that they exist. Forgetting what you're doing from moment to moment, like wandering through the house and you think, you know, I'm going to make myself a cup of tea and then before you know it, you're on the computer writing writing an email to an old, you know, like about something or you're like, you know, cleaning the bathroom or whatever and you never do get round to making yourself that cup of tea, for example. Um, or you walk into a room and you just have no idea why you're there. But the, the other feeling that comes along with this is that when you do remember, when you're able to bring it back to your mind on those occasions, for me, they're getting more and more regular, you're super hyped. Like there's a real thrill there when you remember what you're doing. Next is hyperfixation. So ADHD isn't actually, it's a bit of a misnomer actually because it's not an attention disorder. It's not an attention deficit. It's it's a um, attention to things you have no interest in deficit. <laughs> So when I find something new and exciting, I have no problem concentrating and, um, you know, working really hard and on something that I'm finding exciting and new and interesting. It's just that you can't keep that up. So as soon as it becomes not new and not interesting anymore and moves kind of more into the mundane, then your um, fixation drops away. You're no longer receiving the dopamine, remember? We said that ADHD is a dopamine deficiency. So because you're no longer receiving the dopamine, your your dopamine level drops and so does your interest. So we have no problem concentrating when we enjoy a thing. So the dopamine regulation issue means that our mind is constantly on the hunt for dopamine. So we struggle, we don't struggle with being, with attention, we struggle with being consistently attentive and evenly focused over a whole day. So that's the thing that you're looking for. If you struggle with being consistently focused. Sometimes people will binge eat after a hyperfixation. So you'll go, you'll be so into something for ages that you'll forget to eat and then you'll binge eat anything you can get your hands on. And you've usually forgotten to go shopping um, if you live by yourself, I remember that from when I was younger. So you'll eat like whatever dry cereal or, you know, pretzels out of a bag or um, crisps or, you know, beans on toast for the seventh time that, that week. So that's another thing I've noticed. 
struggling to manage basic household functions. It's a massive sign of ADHD, like bills and paperwork. And the reason that we struggle with that is because it's boring and we don't get a dopamine hit from mundane activities. And the same goes for when we struggle to keep things tidy um, and then we get really overwhelmed with the mess. What's really interesting though is that we, what I've noticed is that we always know where random stuff is within the mess. So like, Say someone asks me, well, when I had hair, someone would ask me for a hair bubble, you know, a tie, a hair tie. And I would be able to say, oh, if you go into my bedroom to the pile at the bottom of the bed and you look underneath the bed leg, you'll find a hair bubble there. Like, so you remember silly things like that in, in amongst all the mess. Um, the other thing that I often find very annoying is that when you do know where something is and you think, okay... I am not going to keep my hair bubble next to the next to the bed leg on the floor anymore. I'm going to move it to this place in the bathroom, say, next to the mirror. Because you're so used to knowing where it is, when you move it, you forget where it is. You put it somewhere sensible, but the sensible place doesn't stick in your mind. That's another really annoying thing about having ADHD. Being overstimulated all day causes crashes at the end of the day so you're often very tired at the end of the day you some you know you often feel like you want to go to sleep early um it often it can often being overstimulated any time can often look like social anxiety as well but it's just so much effort to try and fit in and to um be around people and loud noises and places and even when you're on your own in the house all day and you're just trying to get through a day, it can be very overstimulating. Um, which takes us on to having often people with ADHD will have low self-esteem and will feel like an outsider, regardless of how kind and welcoming people are. We often think you don't like me, or you know, you you make these scenarios up in your head and you're really anxious all the time about fitting in or being liked or that kind of thing. So you will have high times of really high productivity in a month and then times of depression and chronic introversion. And that still happens for me, but it's much less marked. So um, those of you who, are, who have periods, who have menstrual cycles... What is really interesting is that, where did I write that? Somewhere on this list. Is that um, the first half of your cycle before you ovulate, you will have high estrogen. And the second part of your cycle after you've finished ovulating, your estrogen crashes. And in someone who is not neurodivergent, that's not a problem. But if you are neurodivergent and, and you have a dopamine deficiency disorder the estrogen crashing estrogen is a driver of dopamine production so you have even less dopamine than you normally do and that's why we have these periods of boom and bust um, for women who have periods so I thought that was fascinating really interesting so there are things you can do there physically to support yourself through your cycle so, um, feeling, and actually men have the same thing, but I don't know what the, um, 
hormonal mechanism is in men. It seems to flow differently and have a different rhythm, but it, it also happens with men, but I don't know why. So you often feel lazy or like you're a bad parent or a bad adult because you can't manage like other people. So you feel like a bit of a hot mess a lot of the time. You get overwhelmed with loud spaces or background noises. I should say that ADHD and autism um, are very similar in some ways. So you may recognise some of these things if, if you're on the autism spectrum. Um, I mentioned this one earlier, difficulty keeping in touch regularly with friends and family because of the whole um, object permanence issue. This was this one was really funny. I couldn't believe it. I just thought I was just rubbish because of the way that I'd been brought up. But you forget things like brushing your teeth or combing your hair and everyday other cleansing rituals that one might normally um, take part in. And it's not that you don't want to. It's just that you really you either forget or you really can't just make yourself do it. It's really hard. So that's an ADHD trait. Getting overexcited when communicating and struggling to match our words with what we're thinking. So, like, you get really excited and then you forget what you were going to say because your brain's going a mile a mile a minute and then you can't think of the words. Um, and then when you have spoken, you forget what you've said. So you'll often repeat yourself. Um, so that's a problem. Oh, this was a big one for me. Jeez, oh, you hate routine, but it's actually what works best for people with ADHD. This was huge for me. Um, ask anybody, I know, ask anybody. I just couldn't do any kind of routine. Poor Eve, who is my oldest daughter, um, was trying to like manage to get her to school on time and do all that kind of stuff. Anything with a routine, like working a job, stuff like that, really, really hard to the impossible it just depressed me it made me it just emptied me of energy and, and made me feel so disempowered and um just awful I hated routine I hated anybody trying to put me in a routine and I would spend all this time and energy trying to like make myself feel like I wasn't in a routine and that I was like a free spirit and I could do whatever I wanted but and I must say this has been very recent um Adding routine into my life has been one of the best things I have done recently. Um, so anybody who's in the membership, the Momentum membership, our shamanic monthly um, a place where community where we'll come together and we do live events and um, courses and we have a private community and mantras and book clubs and all kinds of things. It used to be, if you remember, that the monthly events would be random. Eh? They would be on different days every week and they would be, like, different times, um, which suited me at the time. But as things have changed and I've tried to integrate more routine, you'll notice that the over time that those live events have become much more regulated as I become more regulated. So now live events will usually be on a Thursday evening and a Sunday evening and I try and make them on a Thursday and a Sunday so that as many people can come as you know as possible and realise that the same night 
every week doesn't work for everybody. So I do have two days where we switch between the two days every week. Or at least we try to. Um, and I regulated the times of those as well. I see my clients at the same time every week now, whereas before it was quite random. Um, I have my work days on the same day. You'll notice recently I've introduced a day off. And it's not that I don't have time off, by the way. I, I, I do. I really do have time off. It's just that I didn't have set time off. I didn't have a routine time off. I just kind of fit it in as and when I felt like it. And I quite like being able to do that. But I realised that for me, having one day where I don't work has been very good for me as part of a routine. Um, so when you have ADHD, when you get into any kind of routine, good or bad, it's very hard to break. So what I now try to do for myself is like, if I'm going to do something, I ask, my, I ask myself, is this a good routine for you? Like if you do this, is this going to be something that you're going to have to unlearn at some point? And that's been quite quite useful. Oh, another big one that was so helpful just to have a, God, just to have an understanding of what was happening is counter will, right? So counter will is where you, your mind, for whatever reason, does the absolute opposite of what people say, including yourself, by the way. So when someone says to you, tidy your bedroom, wild horses couldn't make you do it. And it's not because you're shit or you're just a bit rubbish at life, it's because you literally can't do it. You have a disorder that stops you, it's called counter will. Um, and you have it with yourself as well. So if you say, I really want to get up and brush my teeth and have a shower today, and you lie in bed for three hours instead, it's called counter will. So for me, when I realised that there was a name for it, a label, and an, an explanation it just took a lot of the wind out of the sails of it and a lot of the power out of it. So I was able to say, oh, okay, that's fine. I'm in counter will. If my husband would ask me to do something, I could say, do you know what? I'm in counter will right now. Can you just leave it with me and, and I'll do my best to get to it as soon as I can. And it just made the communication easier. It made understanding it a lot easier. So that's counter will. Fidgeting, nail biting. I don't, I, would, I used to be a fidgeter when I was younger. I don't have much of a, an issue with it now, but a few people I know with ADHD do struggle with fidgeting and nail-biting type things. People with ADHD are often said to have poor reading comprehension, so staying focused enough to read. So in my experience for myself, it's actually when the subject doesn't interest me, I can't read it, I just can't. But when something captures my attention, then that I'm all for it. Like, I can read and read and read. So, other people, I believe, do have actual poor reading comprehension. But um, often, it is it is just because it's boring <laughs> and, you don't, and you don't want to read it. That's the problem. Um, you'll often forget appointments or important events. Even if you put them in your calendar, you forget to look at your calendar um, so that's the, true as well. Um, impulse spending. So you've no Im low impulse control. So you'll spend money even if you know you shouldn't or if you don't have it. And oftentimes you'll spend money before you've even really realised you're doing it. 
that was an issue for me. Um, that took quite a lot of effort and willpower to rein that in. Um, you might often be labelled as lazy by other people. You have a, a poor relationship with time. So you think you need hours and hours and hours to do a task. Or if, say, someone's delivering a washing machine at half past 12 that day, you, you need the whole day for that. Like, you can't do anything else except that. And you just sort of sit and wait for the, the washing machine to be delivered. And then when it's delivered, you've used up so much energy waiting for it, the delivery and having the delivery come that you use, then you can't do anything for the rest of the day because you've used up all your, all your energy. It's a strange thing. Addiction issues can cause um, alcohol addiction, eating addiction, um, drug addiction in, in its many forms. Um, you know, ADHD, as I've said a few times, is a dopamine deficiency issue and our brains will drive us to do anything to get that fix. So I have now chosen in my life, I'm a sober person, I don't drink alcohol or take any drugs. Um, I, eating, still... <laughs> still works sometimes I'll find myself binge eating or 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 really searching out like deep carbohydrates like there's nothing better in my life than double carbs at dinner like a massive pasta meal with like garlic bread or whatever I love it it's great but it's definitely managed it's manageable struggling to listen to others when they're speaking especially when you don't find the subject interesting you'll notice that your brain's just wandered off somewhere else and you're you're like oh, I have no idea what these guys what this person's talking about like I just don't know what they're even saying that can be difficult and um, for me now I'll say I'm sorry I zoned out I wasn't listening can you are, are you happy to say that again um and if my husband's got something really important to share with me I'll say Rhonda this is important so if you could like focus in like you know be aware that this I'm telling you something important. And that's that's very helpful. And he'll I'll do the same for him. Um over sharing, over sharing with other people and a search for connection is a big thing with people with ADHD. So you'll say you'll share blah 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 and then you'll feel shame and you'll probably overthink the interaction in your head and how it could have gone differently, and how maybe you shouldn't have said what you said, but you did, and I wonder what people think of me now. Um, so that's something that happens. And you tend to be very sensitive of criticism from other people. Um, it has a name. It's called rejection-sensitive dysphoria. Everything has a name these days. To me, I called it defensiveness. <laughs> and it wasn't until I was in my early 30s and I had a job with a lovely lady who's my boss called Kate. She was such a such a nice lady. She was just really lovely. Um, really, really created a, a flourishing environment for me. And one day she said to me, Rhonda, you're so defensive. I'm only asking you about spreadsheet X. I'm not saying you've done anything wrong. I'm not suggesting that there's a problem. And yet you're so defensive. And I thought, I said, oh, do you think I'm defensive? And the whole room went deathly quiet. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll think about that. Thank you for sharing it. And it was, that was one of, oh, whoa, 
I'll take myself back there and I feel very emotional. That was one of the most um, eye-opening, um, shameful moments of my life when I realised how defensive I was, <laughs> like, with everybody, like, all the time. No wonder bosses didn't like me. No wonder people find me difficult to deal with. I was so defensive. As soon as somebody opened their mouth, I thought that they were saying something bad. I thought I had done something wrong. Um, it was just really debilitating for me. That was a big one. Um, and I still deal with that today. It's just very, very much more mild. It can be quite sneaky now because it because of its mildness. It comes out in strange little ways. But um, yeah, that's a big one when you're so sensitive to the criticism of others. So those are the the ones that I could think of today um, when I was writing this podcast. I mean, it's quite a long list. I'm sure some of you will resonate and recognise some of those um, those struggles. Obviously, not everybody who struggles with those a few or one or two of those things has ADHD. There are you know certain criteria that you have to meet in order to receive that diagnosis, one of them being that your symptoms must start in childhood, for example. But if you feel like, oh, many of those describe me, that might be worth getting it checked out. Um, another thing that um, I'd like to share is that ADHD often gets worse in perimenopause. Um, it's to do with the estrogen levels again and dopamine and what happens is that women are very very good at masking their symptoms and just managing just holding on by the skin of their teeth and then when perimenopause kicks in they can no longer mask they no longer have the energy to um to do that and life seems to fall apart or unravel before their eyes so if that's something that you recognize it could also be an undiagnosed adhd issue so I now want to just spend a bit of time touching on what I did to help myself with this diagnosis. One thing I found absolutely helpful was the fact that I was diagnosed late, as they say, in my mid-30s, well, mid to late 30s. Um, I had already started on a shamanic path. I had already gone a few years into my healing journey at this point um, and a lot of the things on the list that I have shared with you today were part of my real drive to um, spiritual and personal development. So I had already started to overcome quite a few of the things I have mentioned above before I realised that I was, um, was struggling with ADHD. And I'm to start with, when I was first diagnosed, I was very angry. I was angry at the world, really. I was angry at my parents for not noticing. I was angry at the school for not noticing. At the university for not no Nobody noticed. Like, I struggled so hard in school. I was very intelligent, as many people with ADHD are. But I just couldn't concentrate. I couldn't stick to anything. I was um, just, like, everything that you... It was just basically like a list. If you wanted to list... Um, female ADHD in teenagers I was a test case and everybody missed it now yes it was the 90s no it wasn't 
wasn't really that well known then. No, I wasn't disruptive. So, you know, all I got, I didn't get any help. I just got loads of shame. I was shamed regularly for not being good enough, for not managing. I was shamed for um, not being able to concentrate, not finish my work, for being only relying on my intelligence and not really putting any effort in. I was constantly shamed for most of my teenage years in education and in higher education. And I was very, very angry that nobody noticed. And I worked through that. I seen, you know, I've got people that I work with. So I, I went and spoke to, you know, worked through it with my shamanic practitioner at the time. And, you know, that was fine. Now, looking back, I think, oh, I wonder if I had been diagnosed with ADHD in my 20s, say, or as a teenager, I wonder if I would have just said, oh, well, I've got ADHD, that's that then. I would probably never have striven to change the way that I did. I probably wouldn't have fought for my place in the world the way that I did. And the fact that I had already overcome so many of these issues by the time I realised what was going on showed me that it is absolutely possible to overcome an ADHD diagnosis, whether you know that you have it or not. So here are some of the things that... um, I worked on it in the beginning. These are more of the kind of accessible things that I did because obviously at the beginning of a healing journey with ADHD, you struggle to do things, you struggle to do what you should do, um, you struggle to find momentum, you struggle to find the time, you struggle to remember. So these wee things, these are some of the wee things I did that really helped. Working with the four agreements Uh, to start retraining my neural pathways away from overthinking, away from self-blame, away from blaming others and learning how to tell new stories was very, very useful for me at the beginning because it was simple to use, it was easy to use and there were no real, um, there were no real, it wasn't hard to read, it was easy to read, it was just easy and accessible. So the four agreements is something that I would recommend trying along with recapitulation as well that was the other one because because I carried so much shame from my past it really I really did struggle to um, work effectively in my life in any way with these kind of more spiritual and personal development tools because I carried so much shame and shame is it's just it just sucks you dry just hangs around quietly in your brain, turning its hand to dark deeds, you know, really sucking you of any momentum or ability to to make these changes and move forward. So recapitulation is was genuinely fundamental in helping me to make these changes. So the four agreements and um, recapitulation were two of the really deep foundational pieces of work that I did over probably three years, I'd say, um, you know, really regularly. Um, they were that were absolutely life changing in terms of my ADHD. The other one, the other book that I read at that time, which I found <clears throat> extremely helpful for me anyway, because I was a very toxic person. Um, and 
terms of negativity, <clears throat> terms of the way that I thought and blamed, and a, a lot of that was to do with the way I was brought up as well. And Sandra Ingerman's How to Heal Toxic Thoughts was another kind of fundamental book that helped me to make those changes. Now, you may not have that issue yourself. The, the toxicity that I carried wasn't necessarily to do with my ADHD, but it, that book was just kind of another layer of the, of the changes that I made. If you can hear children and kids in the background, um, I, it's just my life now. So <laughs> hopefully you can just let that those those noises flow through and not mind too much. Um, so the other thing I did was connect with my guides to help me regulate when I got overwhelmed. So with my ADHD, I get overwhelmed very easily. Not so much now, but at the time, didn't take much to stress me out or make me shut down or go into fight mode. Often I was quite aggressive or go into freeze mode, I would shut down or cry or, you know, lose my temper or whatever. It's just basically the sign of a horribly dysregulated nervous system, vagus nerve issue. Um, I didn't really know anything about that at the time. And it turns out with shamanic work, you don't actually need to know about all of these things, even though it is helpful now. But at the time, when I was so overwhelmed and taking in information was really hard for me, I couldn't read things. I couldn't really um, work particularly effectively with information just connecting with my guys on a daily basis and really working mindfully as far as you can when you have ADHD was super helpful for me. So I would wake up in the morning and just start thinking about my guides. I'd think about what they look like, like maybe I'd have a wee chat with them. Like I wouldn't do a journey necessarily, but um, I'd, it was really helpful. I would look into the eyes of my main guide who was Merlin at the time, the wizard isn't now, that because that changed. But at the time it was Merlin, the wizard. And it was just such a grounding experience for me. And I did that every day. That was something that I found that I was able to do every day. There weren't many things I could do every day, apart from um, the things that perhaps one shouldn't. But that was, that was something that really helped me. So simple connections with my guides really helped me regulate. Okay, so you might have noticed that it got a little bit loud again. So I've popped away, fed Mirror and put her to sleep, come back. So where were we? Yes. So using connections with guides to help me regulate when I got overwhelmed was really, really effective for me. The next one was um, implementing routines. Now, if you're anything like me, then you'll probably recoil in horror at a routine. Um, one of the most, I think one of the most surprising things for me in this journey from um, before shamanism, living with ADHD to now, is that routine has become something really important to me. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of routine that is restricting or is given to you by someone else, or is forced upon you in some way. I'm talking about routine that I have created for myself that works for me, and works for the, my family, and works for my life. 
very flexible in my routine. I don't mind it changing. I find it difficult to, to change a routine once I've got something locked in. It does take some effort and willpower to change. But slowly, 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 just adding a little bit of routine to my life has made things so much simpler. I thought about it a lot. And one of the reasons I think that it was made so much easier is because I don't have to think about what I'm doing all the time. So when you have a routine, when I have a routine, I know what I'm doing when I get up. I know what time I'm going to go to bed. It helps now. It's even more so now that we have Mirren, I have a wee baby. Um, it helps that I know what days that I'm working, what days Scott's working, when I've got the baby, when our, when Eve comes to visit, because Eve comes up every week on the same day, um, what day I'm off. So recently you'll notice I've introduced Family Friday, so I'm not around on a Friday. So that's new, having like, have plenty of time off before, by the way. It's not like I didn't have time off, I just took it whenever, whenever I fancied or whenever it was necessary, but now adding in another element so I'm still doing it now eight years of just slowly slowly adding in elements of routine to my life it's made a huge difference it takes a lot less energy for me to think about my life and remember what I'm supposed to do because I have a routine and using a diary now if you're anything like me you'll have you'll have had a million different things that you'll try you'll try the the diary, the written diary, or I'll definitely, I'll buy this diary and I'll definitely use it and you don't. Or I'll use this thing, this app on my phone and you don't. So for me, connecting with, I have an iPhone, so connecting with the iPhone diary and just forcing myself to get used to using it. And that's taken a long time and it's only really now that I, I can use it easily because it's so ingrained and so part of my routine. So I would say, implementing routines even if you recoil in horror is definitely something I recommend um journeying so I said using connections with guides but not that was a different thing to journeying but journeying regularly was very helpful as well anybody who wants to join my free introduction to journeying class the link's on the website on the front page so that was really useful and really enjoyable because I spent so long wondering why I couldn't meditate. Everybody was always like, meditate, you know, you'll, it'll calm you down, it'll make you feel good, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't get into it. I realised now, partly the reason for that in the past was that I had, the, I had meditation wrong in the past. Like I thought it was like to quiet your mind. And be peaceful and quiet in your mind. Um, it's not actually that. It's more about mindfulness. Um, obs- observing your thoughts. But even then, if I tried to observe my thoughts, they were so fast and there were so many of them that it was impossible, really, to at the time for me to m- meditate in any meaningful way. So the shamanic journey was really good because it's active. It, my mind's active. My mind's doing stuff. My mind and my energy is being used effectively. So I find journeying at the beginning really great. The next thing that I found useful was somatic healing. So healing of my my body. Um, when we 
experience trauma, it lies in us, it creates issues in us in different ways. And one of the ways is in your physical body, in your cells. So releasing things from your body is a really good way to deal with ADHD because when you're in fight, <laughs> fight, fright, freeze or fawn, then you are not able to work effectively um, with your brain. When you're in any of these states, non-essential things shut down. Um, you may end up, if you're in chronic fight, fright, free, fight, fright, freeze, fawn, so hard to say for me, um, it means that your non-essential non functions like digestive, digestive systems and your thinking brain and your emotions and your vagus nerve, everything's shut down because your body thinks it's being chased by a lion and has to survive. So you're in this pure survival mode all the time. And it's impossible. I found it really impossible to do any of the things I wanted to do until I discovered shamanic healing. So, and it is now I can connect it very much to somatic healing, so somatic work. So the healing circles I, I offer are really good for this. We've got a couple of free ones. We're redoing our website right now, so I'm not sure where they are at the moment, but I think there's definitely one on the website somewhere. Um, if you have a look, I'm sure it'll, it'll be there. And then in the next few weeks when we update the page again, it'll be more obvious. Um, so check out those, because those are really, really good for that type of release. Next thing that I did was I started to make personal changes. So in these things I've mentioned connecting with my guides, implementing routines and reading the four agreements. Those were all things that I could do for myself. But one, some of the important, really genuinely important things I had to make changes in were boundaries and people pleasing. So those were, and those were a couple of my big ones. I was also my saviour issue. I mean, I've talked about this in other podcasts, um, specifically to do with my ADHD, I think that I always, you have a very low sense of self, a very low self-esteem. So people pleasing, saying yes when you should say no and having no boundaries because you're just seeking approval all the time was just debilitating, absolutely debilitating for me. And that's why I'm such a fan of boundary work because when I started to work with boundaries in a meaningful way, leaning into the discomfort, feeling absolutely crap, so horrible, for doing it but then feeling so good afterwards it was like a light bulb went off and watching everybody around me in my life at the time also they had no boundaries either nobody seemed to have any boundaries everybody was just bouncing about trying to please everybody else and there was saviors everywhere and it was just a mess I remember that very clearly um at that point in my life so starting to make changes in my life for myself was massive for me. The other one was removing myself from unhealthy people, which was very hard. I lost friends, um, no longer see certain family members, um, but it was it hard. Like, I'm, I'm absolutely not going to 
sugarcoat it in any way. It was devastatingly difficult to do. But it was one of the one of the most life-changing moments was when I started to say, I cannot have you in my life anymore. I have compassion for where you're at. I understand who you are to the best of my ability. Can't always understand everything about other people, but I've tried everything I can to make this relationship work and it isn't working for me. And I'm not going to do this to myself. I get one life. I get one shot. You may believe differently, but I prefer to think about my life as now. This is my life. I have to live it as best I can. And I can no longer do that with you in it. So that was a really, that really helped me with my ADHD in particular because it meant that the energy that I did have to focus and to um, make the changes I needed to make and to heal the trauma that I needed to heal, all the energy that was going on these people, I, I was able to keep that for myself. Does it sound selfish? Maybe. Good. Because that's what I needed to do. I needed to think about myself. I needed to be selfish. The healthy selfish. One of the really good things I worked with as well that was really effective were mantras. So because our brains run so fast, so fast, a mantra can be really helpful if you can remember long enough. So I used to use um, post-it notes and app reminders and different things to like help me remember my mantras I was trying to think what mantras I used in particular um, and what I do recall is using the four agreements as a mantra so and the one the one that made the biggest difference was don't take it personally so for me I was my self-esteem was so low that I would always take things very personally and I think I mentioned I was extremely defensive, like chronically, awfully defensive. So when I realised that that was a pathological behaviour, how I began to change that was by using don't take it personally as a mantra. And I would say it to myself when people were talking to me. So often I wouldn't even hear what they were saying, but at least I wasn't taking it personally. And that what was really life-changing, really simple life-changing stuff. Not everybody gets on well with mantras and that's okay, but mantras really did work for me. Incidentally, on a side note, little segue, mantras don't work on their own. You can't say something to yourself over and over again and make no other changes and expect a mantra to work. I think that's why mantras get a bit of a bad, bit bad press sometimes. I love, um, oh, there is one, I love myself. I did, I did use that quite a lot. I love myself, I love myself, I love myself. Just remembered. But like if I was to say that to myself over and over again, it would probably have a small effect. But if I did nothing else at all in my life, it's not. it wouldn't make a huge amount of difference. So mantras are really good as part of an overall protocol, as part of an overall um, change of outlook. Um, breath work. So seeing a breathwork practitioner, which also connects back to what I was talking about, somatic healing. So breathwork is very good for releasing things from your body, I have found. Doing things as soon as I think of them, which can be hard when the mind is so busy. But as I started to really want to get better at life, as soon as I thought of something, I just went and did it. 
as opposed to thinking about something and putting it off, thinking, right, I need to do that thing. Okay, cool, I'll write a list. And then you're in a counter will. You're into trying to make yourself do something that you that your brain then tells you you don't want to do. Whereas if I just if I thought of something and then just did it immediately, like immediately, I thought about putting something in my calendar, so I just did it. Or I thought about um, doing the dishes, so I just did it. That was really good. And Mel Robbins talks about this idea of five, four, three, two, one, go. So you count down five, four, three, two, one, go. So that was very helpful for me as well. So especially getting up in the morning, getting out of my bed, that was always very difficult for me to do. So I started using that. Was actually David's suggestion initially. Thanks for that one, David. Five, four, three, two, one, up. That was, and then I would use it for other things. Five, four, three, two, one, run the water, do the dishes. So that's something that you can try. Other things that I did during my training that I noticed made a really big difference to my life in general were gratitude practice, ho'oponopono and connecting with radiance. So that would be, for those of you who are in the Momentum membership, connecting with radiance is actually very similar to the lighthouse work that we do in the membership where we can put people in our lighthouses. So those are some of the practical things that I did at the beginning. So other things that I've thought of that I wanted to share in this podcast were that one one really important thing for me was accepting that all this stuff wasn't my fault and I'm not just a bit shit. And realising that I have actually achieved a massive amount despite these issues and I am proud of myself. I'm proud of my achievements. Do I have regrets in life? Not anymore. Everything I have done, good, bad, the good, the bad and the ugly has gotten me to this stage in my life. But that was huge for me because think, spending your life thinking that you're just a bit shit and you just can't manage because of some perceived personality flaw or because you should be better and you're not is awful. It's, it's like a constant power loss over and over and over again. And not only was I getting it from myself, I was getting it from people around me as well. So being able to accept and understand through this diagnosis that everything that had happened to me and the way that I was wasn't my fault was huge. Huge. Which pulled me into then a lot of work around forgiveness forgiving myself, forgiving those around me. I mentioned earlier about how angry I was and I was able to work through that and and move into a place of forgiveness. I've been working on this. So these are just general thoughts now for the rest of the podcast. So I've been working on this issue. No, not issue. What would I say? I've been working on, on my personal development, my spiritual development and my wholeness template, my healing and um, inner healing, my connection to myself and to nature and to those around me, and meaningfully, 
I mean, I've been trying to do it my whole life, but meaningfully and successfully for about eight years. And I still have issues, very much so. So it's nothing's a one-stop shop here. There's no magic bullet that will fix it all. It takes bravery and effort, real effort. But it is possible. It is absolutely possible. And this community is here to support whoever would like to walk that path with us. So things, I want to share things I still struggle with in the spirit of transparency. I still focus with, I still struggle with focus and mundane tasks, like office tasks specifically. Um, I can't go to a post office for love nor money. Like, I can't do it. I can't post things. I don't think I've been in a post office ever since I was, like, in my mid-twenties and now in my 40s. But what I do is ask other people to do it for me. So I'll say, or in anything else I can't manage, I'll say, I can't manage this task. Um, can you help me with it? To whoever I live with, Wendy, Scott or Josh say I've got this thing to post will you post it for me generally Wendy will say okay I know you have this thing to post you do it you fill it out and I'll post it for you which is brilliant so it's great to have help and have people who know you really well who can support you with the things that you just can't seem to do yet and I say yet because you know you never know when these things will change that's one thing I do know if I feel any shame about something I will say I'm feeling shame about this, but I do need help to post this item, whatever it is. Or I'll ask for an accountability buddy. So I'll say to Scott, you know, okay, I'll have this thing to do. I'd like an accountability buddy. So then he will say, okay, I'm, I'm reminding you about this thing that you asked me to remind you about. So there's permission there. And we're all part of the same team. That can be, I mean, it can be tough because then sometimes when you have an accountability buddy who comes in to help, then it can trigger your counter will. So, you know, these things just take practice and and balance and um, gentle in, personal inquiry and gentle conversations with yourself. Just want to touch briefly on medication as well. I think that um, for me, I have not been medicated at any point for ADHD and I have chosen not to go down that route because that is what is right for me. That is not necessarily what is right for other people. Some people I personally know have gone down the medication route and have gotten on very well with it and it's really worked for them. Um, I said there's no one-stop shop so medication doesn't fix anything by itself but it certainly gives relief and it certainly supports and it certainly helps and when used correctly and um, in the right dosage with the right doctor etc 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 so what I would say is shamanic work is not a substitute for um, medicinal help medicinal help is not a substitute for shamanic work neither um, So what am I saying there? I'm saying, personally, my lived experience is that shamanic work and personal development 
and healing trauma has helped me to the point now where my symptoms are completely manageable. In fact, I've managed to hack my brain and turn my hyperfixation into something really useful. I'm able to use it for things that I really enjoy that are useful, like my work. You know, I love my work. Um, I've lost my train of thought. And, oh yeah, and then the other thing I want to say about medication is if you have to take medication, there's a real um, flavour in the spiritual world that medication is bad, the doctors are bad, you know, and for not everybody, certainly some people are not like that, but I do hear that a lot. Oh, yeah, never, never get vaccinated, never take medication. And what I would say is, if that's you, fine. I have no issue with that. But what I would say is if you do need to take medication and as a choice that you make for yourself, then don't hate on it for any reason. Because what you then do is you, that's what you're sending to your body. I've had to take medication for other things. And what I've chosen to do there is I love my medication. I'm so grateful that we live live in a time on the planet where we have the option of this type of help. There's no um, shame in taking medication for ADHD. For those of you who take medication don't feel shame and love it, great. So this message is for people who maybe struggle with that. Love it. Say thank you. Be grateful. That's then what you send to your body. It allows you the, the best possible environment to thrive if you've gone down that route. And then finally, I just want to touch on the work of Gabor Mate, who was instrumental, as I mentioned earlier, in my ADHD journey. It was him that made me realise that it was something that I may suffer with. And we say suffer and we call it a disorder. But I'm not sure that it is a disorder in the strictest sense of the word. Gabor Mate's work show, states and shows a lot of the research shows that ADHD is a trauma-based issue, childhood trauma-based issue, and that you can work on it and you can heal it. Maybe not entirely, but I can't say that because I haven't gotten that far. But in the last eight years, I have moved from chronic, debilitating, absolutely useless at life, couldn't function worth a damn, terribly, terribly affected to now, eight years later, being quite relaxed about the whole thing, frankly. You know, it's just one of those things. It's, you know, my life is pretty good. I don't struggle with anywhere, any of the list now really still comes up. But now that I have the tools in place, I can very easily navigate the things that come up for me what he does say which I find interesting given the way that I live now is that there's less and less of a village there's less and less of a village so parents are more and more stressed out this is his thing he talks about parental stress it's not that we don't love our children it's just that we're so stressed out with life that we become emotionally unavailable for our kids and it can trigger these 
um, some of these issues. There's a lot of talk about ADHD being genetic. I think that, you know, that's a very complicated subject because in order to um, trigger a gene, there needs to be environmental factors. So if you have the, the ADHD gene and then there are no triggering environmental factors, then you won't present with ADHD in your life. You still have the gene, but it doesn't mean you have ADHD. And I think that people get very confused about hereditary versus environmental, and you actually need both. So I would, if you're interested in checking out Gabor Mate's work, go ahead and do that. Um, what I would say about Gabor Mate's is that when you listen to him speak, you might be able to listen to like two or three of his YouTube videos, but they're all, you know, he's not the most dynamic speaker, but do stick with it. His stories are fascinating. The way that he talks about ADHD and the causes are fascinating. I'm not going to try and go through or rehash Gabor Mate's work on this, but I find it heartening, uplifting, sensible, um, born out in the data. You know, I'm a shamanic practitioner, a shaman and a seer. Like, I work in the unseen realms. Like, I deal with um, all kinds of spiritual and, um, you know, psychodynamic issues. But I do also love data. And I do also love that a lot of what we do in the shamanic and spiritual world is now beginning to be borne out in science. It's be they're beginning, they're they're coming closer together, which is very exciting. Anyway, one last thing that I'd like to add to this podcast, which I heard and I thought, God, that's heartening. That is exciting and like really lovely to hear. Did you know that the brain can develop new circuits? right up through your 80s. We have a tendency, an awful tendency to think it's too late. Oh, it's too late for me. I remember thinking that in my 30s. Too late for me. I've, you know, I'm already in my 30s. Everything's passed me by. It's rubbish. Hopefully, touch wood, I'm not even halfway through my life yet. Um, given the trajectory of the women in my family, we all are quite long-lived. But it's never too late, it turns out, to work on changing those neural pathways in our brain, to work on healing, to work on change, and to work on finding a place in your life of grounded peacefulness. So regardless of what comes, because spiritual work won't stop hard things happening, but what it does do is it gives us the tools to be able to manage it effectively. And that's what shamanism has done for me with my ADHD and in many other areas of my life as well. So, right up to your 80s, neural pathways can change. That's been borne out in the data now in research. It's fascinating stuff. Absolutely brilliant. All right, folks. I've had a great chat with myself and you in this podcast. Sorry, it got a bit noisy in the middle with the kids, but, you know, like I say, it's just the life now and I do like to be authentic and just take you along for the ride sometimes. So I hope you've enjoyed this rather long podcast. I'm so glad to be back with you doing these. Um, I won't be going back this year to really regular podcasts, but they won't be so far apart next time. Thank you so much for listening. 
thank you so much for being part of this community and I can't wait to hear what you would like to share about this podcast in the community group in the community group that is what I'm really looking forward to are the conversations that we can have and the sharings that we can we can um, offer to each other so that we know that we're not alone on this path and we know that our struggles are um, not unique to us sometimes some people might want to be special in which case that's fine but it's very helpful to me to know that I'm not alone and that other people struggle with these things as well and it's not just me and I'm not just a bit shit but actually we can all come together share our experiences and then take those steps forward to real healing and change in our lives all right much love everybody and I'll see you really really soon Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. If you'd like to learn more about shamanism and tap into our free resources, then do hop over to centreforshamanism.com and check it out.